1: Hello, podcasters out there, and thank you for joining uh, us for our Ogletree Deacons podcast. My name is Kevin Bland. I'm a shareholder in our Orange County office here in California, and I'm here today with Karen Tynan, our West Coast Practice Group leader and Sacramento shareholder. Uh, we're discussing uh, 2021 Cal Citation and Enforcement Trends and other important Cal OSHA Appeals Board cases in 2021 to help you better understand regulation interpretation, uh, the status of case law, and how those tricks can work for you. Okay, Karen. Hey, let's start with a case that I know you want to talk about. Uh, This is a late appeal uh, case that just came down. Can you uh, tell us a little bit about that? I know you can't use the name, but do you want to talk about it a little bit?
2: yeah, I want to talk about scenarios where citations get mailed to satellite offices because the inspectors, when they send out the citations, are not sending the citations to necessarily the corporate address that's out of state in, you know Arkansas or Texas or wherever. They're sending them to the inspection location. And in that case, You can have somebody that runs a warehouse and they get citations in the mail, and maybe they don't understand. Maybe they think, oh, this is just a copy. It went to the corporate headquarters. And in Cal OSHA world, and this is a discussion that happens a lot um, amongst our peers, uh, there's no relief from, from default or from a late appeal generally, unlike civil cases where you can have excusable neglect. You can have improper service. All that, right? Yeah. And you can, what uh,
1: six months? And
2: we, right. Yeah. And so, we don't have that case law or that regulation in the Cal OSHA world. And so, what happens is, and there was a recent case about it, that a inspector mailed the citations to a remote location. And even though he had been, this inspector had been corresponding with an in-house counsel, with a general counsel on getting documents, things like that. At another
1: location, though, right?
2: Right. Um, He didn't send the citations to that general counsel. And even though um, that general counsel said, hey, wait a second, he should have mailed those citations to me. I would have appealed them on time. The appeals board said, no, 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 no. Um, You never formally indicated you expected to be served at your mailing address. You never sent in a formal notice of representation. And so, therefore, we mailed the citations to an appropriate location and too bad, so sad. And the practice pointer for those general counsels is that something in writing saying please serve those citations on me. Or the I'll accept service by email, something like that. I think that, and you may have had this experience, I've had inspectors say, oh, I have to mail the citations out by certified mail, so I'm not able to email you. And I say, oh, no, 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 just email me the courtesy copy, right? If if you get into that kind of battle, make it clear, right?
1: Absolutely. And I've had that, and that's something that you and I both do. And this is another uh, benefit of having uh, counsel and if you're general counsel being involved early on because even in a an initial document uh, request in an inspection response, mm-hmm. our first sentence is what all future correspondence <laughs> related to this case comes to our office right yes and, and that writing has saved us uh, uh, before
2: when the citations are mailed to some remote location in Riverside County or in Yuba City or wherever, you know, pick, yeah. pick some satellite office. And um, I, I think that what we try to do in these podcasts is share some best practices, yeah. share some war stories, and talk about cases. And that recent case that came out about late appeals, it reminded me of um, that you and I sometimes... Uh, take some of the procedures we live and breathe it so much kind of take them for granted and we don't talk about them right and I wanted to talk about it
1: no that's a very good point you know another uh, thing that's in this vein that I've had some confusion on with folks is that every other legal document in your corporation you have an agent for service of process so if you get uh, a lawsuit filed against you a complaint filed all those things go to that Service the process, and you get them, and the right people get them. And Kalosha, there's a bunch of cases (laughs) out there that says no. Uh, And to your point, sometimes, like in retail, management may change. The manager of that store may change. And it goes that, and they go, oh, this was done with, uh, you know, whenever Jane was managing. I don't have to worry about this. And we've had that happen with some large box stores uh, before. So it's very important Mm -hmm. to get that correspondence clear and also recognize that they aren't going to serve the for service of process. That is something, though, so everyone knows. I uh, have been, and Karen, we've been working on trying to get that changed Uh right. talking with the appeals board at some of the uh, advisory meetings and uh, trying to plant that seed to get that uh, uh, changed for corporations, which would be a great help. I don't know if we'll make it. and We'll do it because it's been a longstanding practice, but we're working on it for you guys.
2: Yeah, I think, I think it'd be best if that happens because... 15 working days can be fast and furious, right? 15 working days to file an appeal uh, by the time it gets kicked around and maybe a safety manager talks to, you know, inside counsel and then someone starts looking around and saying, well, Jim dealt with this inspection. Where's Jim? Jim's on vacation. Stuff like that. So those 15 working days can get blown by pretty quick. Uh,
1: Exactly. And then the other confusing thing that happens sometimes is they'll be talking to Cal OSHA inspector or DM and working on an informal conference. And they say, Oh, let's schedule that out uh, three weeks from now. I'm available. And they don't necessarily remember to tell you that that doesn't extend your, your, your appeal time. And that catches a lot of folks. flat footed. Right. I agree, Kev. Let's talk a little bit about enforcement trends, Karen. Like we have district managers and inspectors. uh, They're, uh, Uh, maybe prioritizing certain industries or prioritizing certain types of complaints. Let's kind of talk about that and what's you're seeing some of the prioritization that's occurring now.
2: Sure. So 2021, and I think this will be true through the end of the year is the prioritization Mm -hmm. of healthcare workplaces, right? Because COVID. So we will see tons of inspections at nursing homes, assisted living, Hospitals, clinics, all kinds of healthcare facilities. Another area that we're seeing, and it makes sense, is agriculture operations in the Central Valley. Uh, Because so many workers came down with COVID in 2020, and there's transportation issues and housing issues, that's a top priority too. And we're seeing a lot of very rigorous and thorough inspections in the Central Valley with the ag business. And We've also seen a big uptick in retail and grocery. That's because there's so much customer facing interactions and um, they're essential workers. Uh, A lot of the grocery stores, you know, as we've seen from February and March, absolutely essential workers. And so that's a priority with the district managers And then, of course, you can never talk about uh, prioritization of enforcement efforts without talking about meat processing. So whether it's um, cows or chickens, pork, whatever, meat processing is definitely a high priority because of the workers and because of the closeness and uh, some of the things that have happened across the country. So don't forget about that when you're considering whether or not your company is part of the prioritized um, activities and uh, new since our last podcast, Kev. um, And I think our colleague Sean Pison did a really good blog post about it. There's a whole new attorney general department in California for dealing with uh, workplace safety and workers um, in this COVID crisis. I just had a little correspondence <laughs> this past week where the new person that's the head of the efforts in Los Angeles queried me oh. um, with a demand for responses about the status of some meat processors. So I think we will continue to see that and then the last part of enforcement efforts is we're going to continue to see those complaint letters I bet on an average week we probably here in northern California answer between four and ten of those yeah
1: and let's see I'm trying to think the last um uh, meeting I had the public meeting uh I, it was either the standard I think it was a standard board meeting where DOSH, uh, the division Cal OSHA gives a, a little uh, oral report. I think they were up to somewhere around eight to 10,000 complaints. Really? And, yeah. and to put that in perspective, in a standard year, they may have, say, 3,000 complaints. Yeah. Uh, and the overwhelming number of that uh, was uh, COVID-19. Uh,
2: of course.
1: In, in that vein, also, obviously, the, the implicit in this, we have... Priority one is COVID, and yes. priority two are what industries within. Uh, yeah. But I don't want folks to think that okay, they're off the hook on everything else because I can give you an example. I had a fatality uh, case. I had several of them non-COVID related, but talk about priorities. They were out there and it had nothing to do with COVID. Uh, it was a construction accident. First thing they started asking about not the not the fatality, but where's your COVID stuff.
2: Right. Yeah. Asking so, for the yeah. CPP, mm-hmm. which in our three-part series, you talked about having it in writing, having it in the worksite and all. I'm seeing that too. If uh, the inspector's coming out and checking on someone's fingertip amputation, they walk in the door and, you know, of course, everybody's got their PPE on and we've had a safety meeting. And one of the first things out of their mouth is where's the CPP? Who's got it? You know, what's going on with it?
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, it's reminiscent of remember when heat illness uh, yes. was the uh, the what's still the big thing, yeah. but they could come out and it could be 50 degrees in <laughs> February and they want to see your heat illness program when they're out there for something else. So, yes, it's the same concept, uh, different title.
2: I think you're right, Kevin. Absolutely. And it will continue through the end of 2021. Definitely.
1: So uh Karen, while we're on this topic of enforcement, uh what kind of citations uh, are you seeing? What uh uh section numbers, what what's uh, what's been the trend and and I think it's fair to say it probably evolved and changed over the year over uh, right. 2020 and we're going to see it in, uh, in 2021. Uh can you give us kind of a rundown on that?
2: Sure. Well, we already had our aerosol transmissible disease standards so section 5199 We're seeing the citations from inspections that were the summer of 2020, especially with uh, nursing homes, skilled nursing facilities, places like that. What I'm seeing in the citations are uh, violations related to documentation of the ATD, training, training related to COVID. Did you train your nurses on all these COVID procedures? Training on PPE. Remember, there was a time when we couldn't get an N95 mask with a fistful of fifties, right? Right, right.
1: right.
2: <laughs> and uh, so, PPE violations. And another nuance that I'm seeing quite a bit is uh, citations because the employer did not maintain earnings of nurses when they were excluded from the workplace because of COVID. And
1: that's a good point. Because I think there's a misperception because the emergency uh, uh, temporary standard, the COVID regulation, has this explicit COVID and, and we forget, right, that right. so the ATD standard has a similar uh, right. provision, right?
2: Right. So under the emergency standards, your regular businesses have to pay people that have had COVID exposure and excluded from the workplace, and people know that that emergency standard doesn't apply to our healthcare facilities. So they think, oh, OK, we don't have to worry about paying people. But the ATD does require maintaining earnings when people are excluded from work because of COVID. And it's it's something that's important for record keeping. So I've been seeing citations that um, happened where during the summer, when people weren't really sure about how to, to deal with pay issues. So those are at the top. And of course, from inspections this summer, we're seeing IIPP citations. That's section 3203. And again, training, documentation, hazard evaluation, and th- those. And, and of course, it goes without saying those are issued as serious. Yeah. Uh, Kevin and I have both quietly been informed that COVID citations are supposed to be issued as serious unless... Basically, no matter
1: what, right? <laughs> uh,
2: yes, no matter what, unless there's some you know crazy reason not to, right? So that's what we're seeing. And then from inspections that are happening in December and January, February, and March, we are going to see those uh, CPP, uh, Emergency Temporary Standard, citations coming in 2021, probably mostly around documentation, some around pay, some around uh, PPE, uh, excluding people from work, things like that. So that's what we're expecting. And I, I want to mention a nuance, Kevin, and you and I have talked about this abatement, right? Oh, yeah. We're ending up on the expedited track because, uh, the inspector or the district manager says well you haven't abated these citations sufficiently and so boom suddenly you're in the expedited track it's fast and furious and you've got a hearing set for 6 months
1: yeah you know and along those lines too interesting enough even if it says corrected it's a covid case uh, there is, has been this has been publicly stated that it's the covid cases are going to be put in expedited it won't be, quote unquote, the expedited uh, official non-abatement expedited, right. but it's going to follow that same track. So you, we're going to see a lot of quick work have to be. So what's the what's the key to that? If you get a citation, you're going to have to act on it fast. Get your expert witnesses in place fast. Decide where you're going to head, uh, which is, some you know, like uh, I know we were talking about this the other day. Uh, I think it's, uh, you, you've been talking to some experts, so we have some folks in line. When, this, when the time comes, right,
2: right for for um, testimony about causation, testimony about exposure, and I I think that that is very important, Kevin. And one one aspect of this that we also haven't talked about that we end up dealing with and helping people with and ends up being a big concern, and that's publicity. Yes. So OSHA has been doing some pretty strong press releases.
1: I call it public shaming. They, they, okay. may, they may lose against us mm-hmm. in the citation appeal, and we win, but the public shaming already occurred. Uh, yes. we, we, we've seen that, and, and it's a tactic uh, that the federal folks have used for years, and we're seeing that uptick uh, uh, now, I agree. It's, uh, it, it's a tough thing to combat.
2: Right. Especially for healthcare providers who rely on their professional reputation. And when a press release comes out and uh, hits the the internet and gets picked up by the newspapers and, and other shows, Cal OSHA has been providing copies of the citations with the charging language. Yeah. And it can be pretty inflammatory.
1: Well, and to your point, Karen, uh, and this is not just anecdotal, because uh I I've seen some of our clients and the newspaper article said uh these entities, I won't name them, fail to report their uh hospitalization or their death. And that's placidly untrue. They get cited for failure/slash late reporting. And in one of the cases, it was timely but we can defend it, and in several of the cases. But the charging language doesn't differentiate. They don't say, oh, they reported this an hour late. It just says failure to report timely or report at all. And so that really is misleading to the public.
2: I think so. And it goes back to the examples. I think it was in part two of our three-part series on the COVID regs where you talked about how hard it is to get information and Cal OSHA things. If that person was admitted to the hospital at 10 o'clock on a Tuesday night even if you didn't know about it, even if their family didn't know about it, that's when the clock starts ticking, right.
1: right? Yeah, absolutely. I haven't had a couple of cases where they had a fatality. They didn't even know they were hospitalized because they couldn't have that right. communication uh, in, in that context. And, and so the hard part too, one last point to put a pin in this subject on uh, the, the I'll, I'll call it press releases. I like to call it public shaming <laughs> is even if they do a retraction, you know, because uh, I've had that where they've had to uh, correct that before. And, and it's hard to get it corrected. you got to be uh, right. diligent. But the correction is one line on page 30. Uh, and so, right. you know, once the bell has been wrong, So this is something that we're going to have to continue to to deal with. We, as in Karen and I, will continue to be pushing back uh, uh, at meetings and at uh, uh, advisory committees and discussions we have with uh Uh, yeah. uh, on this point for the employers
2: out there. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I wanted to talk to Kevin about document request. It's something you and I end up dealing with, and it's certainly a very standard tool uh, early in investigation and, and, uh, usually has a three-day deadline that gets all people all jacked up, right?
1: Right, right.
2: And uh, you and I both know that extensions are common 99% of the time. That three days just flips people out, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, and let's talk about that three days. That three (laughs) days, there is no statutory deadline for response. That's an arbitrary pick uh, that the, the inspector picks. And so people get in a panic and has that language on there. Oh, if you don't respond in uh, three days, you, we will do, we will uh, uh, determine that these documents do not exist. Well, that's BS to put it uh, kindly, politely. Uh And uh, you know, I, I do think that it's important to be on the same page with them as far as getting extension, like you said, Yeah. so you have some paper trail there, uh, but it is p- completely arbitrary. If, if People listening have been in a civil case, you have 30 days to respond. That's a, a given time period. Mm-hmm. This is an arbitrary time period. Uh, now, and, you know, it's in everyone's best interest to get it to them as fast as, uh, as you can because you want to get that ball rolling and cooperate. Uh, but it is just an arbitrary, de- uh, date picked. And I think it's very important to, uh, recognize that. And, you know, and along with that, now that we're, that we're talking about responding to, uh, the document request. It's a standardized list, but very uh, loosely written. Yes. And so uh, most a lot of folks, if they don't have counsel, will just take the list and give them what they think they it means and send it off. Uh, Karen, I, I think you do the same thing. Is I like to object to them, still give them, but so we have some protection of right. We, you know it was vague. We didn't know it says training records. Well, training records
2: for who? Training records about what? what? About
1: what? Right. What time period? Right. right. Uh, a good example. Uh, right. The things of that nature. You may intuitively know what they want, but preserve your rights on that and, and, and make sure that you uh, objected. Now, another thing uh, that happens, too, mm-hmm. is uh, they'll send you an email and say, hey, can you tell me what Joe was doing that morning? What is that? Is that a document
2: request? No. No. And stop thinking of it as that, right? Mm -hmm. And don't create documents. I've I've seen too many times the inspector will check a box and say, list of all employees in Department D with their cell phone numbers and rank. And the employer says, well, I don't keep a list like that, but I created one. Oh, my goodness. Stop it. Just... Settle down. <laughs> we're we're going to deal with this. I, I think it's important. People want to be cooperative and it is important to be cooperative. At the same time, it's also important to understand what documents mean and that the documents that you're sending to Cal and providing can be very impactful. So don't get it wrong.
1: You know, and there's another thing that kind of dovetails into this, Karen, that uh, that I uh do often is maybe have 10 categories of documents and uh, let's take the training documents, for example, training on Jim Marie uh, for whatever. And they'll want, they'll segment to say, okay, here's our training documents on Jim and Marie. Uh, here's this. No. And let me tell you why. Let me <laughs> right. tell you why. I give a pile and you do the same thing and it's base number, So we can track what we gave them. And you say, why would you want to segment? Why would you want to uh, uh, do it that way? Because this one document may apply to training, your IIPP, your code right. of safe practice. All of that dovetails in. So when you pigeonhole yourself into, I can only use it for this. Or whenever we're later on in an appeal and they say, well, this is all you gave me for training. No, I gave you a thousand pages that all go to training and work on the job training. And,
2: and what the IIPP yeah. and everything else. Mm-hmm. And... I think it's important. I also don't uh, do slip sheets and uh, uh, create document categories. I'm like you. It's all in one big pile. And we're not required under the California Civil Code to identify the documents because the appeals board regulations didn't adopt that. The civil rule says, oh, in a document request, you have to identify. That's not how this works. And so I think uh, that is an important part of dealing with document request. I know that we're um, uh, kind of talking about the tricks and trends uh, here. We'll close this out. I, I do appreciate you guys uh, listening to us. Kevin and I, of course, have these series of podcasts all the way back to the beginning. We have basics like what is Cal OSHA? What is an inspection? We have a terrific podcast on accidents and fatalities. Remember that yes, one, Kevin? Yeah,
1: that, that's important because there are some criminal potential in those. I do. Speaking of criminal, can I ask you one question before we close out? Okay. Do you ask for them to issue a warrant before they come in?
2: No, not usually. <laughs> right. I know I, I heard... get that
1: all the time. Right, right? and so uh, yeah, you can, but probably not recommend it because I know that question comes up with uh, with these inspections. So, all right, well. Thanks for listening to Karen and I. Uh, Look for our blog articles on Ogletree.com. Also, we recorded many different webinars on COVID-19 and other topics, along with other podcasts, as Karen alluded to. So uh, I hope you enjoyed uh, today's podcast. Thanks for joining. Have a safe day.
2: Everybody stay safe, and we'll see you on the next podcast.